The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. It's Tuesday, September 23rd, and you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Radio Network. I'm your host, and thank you for joining me. Today, the first day of fall, end of summer, isn't that something? So as I asked last week in my close, do you have a net worth of $5 million, a house worth more than $1.5 million, an average income of more than $250,000, and an affinity for bargain hunting? Go figure. If you answered yes, then aside from being extremely lucky, you're just the reader for Du Jour magazine, a digital and print magazine uh, that's out since 2012. Jason Bin, uh, the founder of Du Jour, uh, and the publisher currently is uh, here with me today. This publication targets the affluent market and chronicles the world of the nation's wealthiest individuals. DuJour recently made the hot list as one of the hottest lifestyle magazines in Ad Week for all of 2014. Jason is here with me a little later on in the program, and we'll get into all of that in a few minutes. But first, some newsworthy items. Well, it was a big week here in New York. Apple's iPhone 6 and iPhone 6 Plus have broken yet another record. The company said Monday that its first weekend sales topped 10 million devices. Wow. It didn't break out the sales between the two models, though. But the iPhone 6 Plus seems to be the one in demand and hard to find the past three days. Um, This week also is the 69th session for the United Nations General Assembly. More than 140 world leaders converge on the U.N. headquarters at Turtle Bay in Midtown Manhattan to discuss some of the many urgent matters of the day. President Obama is in town and traffic is already crazy and streets being closed are the order of the week. It seems impossible that there was a time when one could find a whole apartment for five or six hundred dollars per month. But throughout the 1940s, here in New York City, rents averaged a mere $50 per month, with some places even less than that. Can you imagine $50 per month? God. But how far would that $50 take you in the next decade, or in the 1980s, or even today? So, while $50 may have been the average, there were a whole lot of places cheaper than that. Housing across nearly the entire Lower East Side was less than $30. Greenwich Village, of course, was more of a mixed bag ranging from $50 to $100, And around the Washington Square Park area, rents even reached above $150. Greenwich Village, as we'll talk about later in the program, uh, was a hot place to be then, and it continues to be today. So if in the 1940s the average rent was $50, in the 1950s, my research says it's $60, in the 1960s, rather, uh, $200, in the 70s, $335 per month, in the 80s, jumped to $1,700 per month. Now, we're talking about averages. 1990s, $3,200, and in the 2000s, holding steady at an average of $3,800 per month. So from the 40s 
to 2010s, we go from $40, $50 rather, to $3,800. Quite amazing. Worth mentioning is that the average apartment in Manhattan and Brooklyn today is much more luxurious than, of course, it was in the 40s. And even with the pre-war beauties that still exist today, decades gone by have really enhanced the look and feel of everything. And as the economy has increased, so has the rents. Along those lines, ABC News reports that you won't believe how much it costs to rent an apartment in some parts of the United States. In order of most expensive, San Francisco, New York, Boston, Washington, D.C., and Miami. Interesting. Chicago, Los Angeles, Seattle, San Diego, that surprised me, and Philadelphia rounded out the rest of the top ten with rents ranging from $2,250 all the way down to competitively, comparatively affordable $1,375 per month. While San Francisco was the most expensive overall for renters, New York still tops the list for most expensive neighborhoods. If you want to live in New York's trendy Tribeca, you will be paying around $4,200 each month. And San Francisco's most expensive neighborhood is Russian Hill, where the rent averages $4,000 per month. If these outrageous numbers have left your head spinning, head to Detroit. Rent in the cheapest major U.S. metropolitan area is only about $565 per month, and if you're willing to get some roommates, the median price per bedroom is just $272 per month. Interesting. Wow. Are these averages on studios or one beds? This is across the board. Studios, uh-huh. one beds, That's and small two beds. So mm-hmm. wow, interesting great. to see how we've come uh, from the 40s to, to today, plus around the country, you know, holding firm. San Francisco being number one. All right, we're going to talk to my panel first this morning with a couple of interesting topics. And joining me today is Deborah Hoffman from Town Residential, Perul Brombat from Core Group, Rachel Altschuler from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Dalian Real Estate, and Ivy Ray, independent broker. So good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody today? Great. It's the first day Doing all right. last week. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, the weather is great, but the traffic in this town is insane these past couple of days. And as brokers trying to get to and from, obviously our days are challenged. And the cost of some of this transportation lately, I was just complaining before we got on the air that I took an Uber car from West 63rd Street on Sunday afternoon to Greenwich Village, and it cost me $66. I'm still not over it, and my hair is still standing up in the air. Oh, man. (sighs) Wow. I don't get it, but, you know, it's still the best way to go when you need it, but I just don't understand. Sometimes, you know, the surcharge because there is, you know, a lack of inventory because so many people are looking for cars. And again, you know, part of being, you know, the New York experience, a part of living in New York City, you take into consideration or into account all of these um, high-priced expenses. Anyway, brokers say buyers are less frantic today as inventory ticks up just a bit. And I wanted to have a little bit of a conversation with you guys because you're in it every day as I am and we've gone through so many different markets up down flat plateau but all of a sudden you know and when I say inventory is up just a bit it's up just a bit I mean I wouldn't go carrying on to say that we've got this plethora of you know you know many 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 apartments hitting the market but the inventory has peaked just a bit so this year roughly half of our sales deals were in a best and final situation which meant multiple offers, lots of people wanting the same apartment. And so, you know, you either bid over asking price and there were many people who were doing the same thing. So a best and final situation. Now there seems to be a bit more inventory. So there is more available inventory and buyers are having more choices. Sellers are having to be more competitive with pricing. 
Are you guys seeing this trend back to a more normal pace in the marketplace than the frenzied pace we've had since, I'd say, mid-2013? I think it largely depends on um, what your price point is. You know, so who you're working with and what their needs are. I find if you're working in sort of the 1.2, 1.5, which I have a few buyers that are actually dear friends and they've been shopping for quite some time and we went through what it is that you were just referring through a number of times, it's still – I'm not finding that shifting. So it depends on what neighborhood you're shopping in. There's still maybe something new will come to the market and everybody that's been waiting in the sidelines is pouncing and you they won't let you in early. You get to the open house and there's 15, 20 people there and the same thing is going on. So it all depends on the price point. That's why I'm really asking because I don't necessarily see it either. And you know, according to the real deal this week where I read the story, the article, um, it seems to be changing just a bit. But I can sit here and say I have two listings that have been on the market for probably five weeks, I think competitively priced or priced well, two two-bedroom apartments in different neighborhoods, and they haven't sold yet. And so I'm wondering you know, where we really are in this marketplace. So when I hear inventory is ticking up and maybe buyers are running around searching for everything that's potentially out there, I'm not quite sure. Guys, mm-hmm. what about the rest of you? Do you see any – you know, trend back to a normal pace, or are you still seeing these bidding wars? You're still seeing these multiple offers. I think it, I think it feels I think it feels like a normal pace when you're out there. But then I think the um, on the flip side, what's happening is is that it's very real that you know all cash offers above that are happening. So, for example, I'm working with a, a buyer right now down down in the financial district, and after we saw a series of units go into contract. We made a competitive competitive offer for one apartment that just hit the market. We wanted to be the first to come in and see it and bid on it. So I was able to negotiate a deal for roughly 4% off the ask uh, on a Friday, just two days prior to the open house. And then on Monday, we had a contract that was on its way out, and the seller just had to transfer the deed to an LLC prior to the sale, you know, a couple days to get the contract out made me a bit nervous. You know, I'm always thinking about situations about what could go wrong. So come Thursday, we expect the contract to come, and I get a call from the broker who received an all-cash offer that with that she said was, quote-unquote, significantly over-asked all-cash, and that the seller was taking that offer over hours. So I think although inventory is loosening up, the competition is still very real, and uh, above-ask offers are still the norm. That's what I'm seeing. With that said now, you know, well said. So it seems like prices, though, have plateaued in some markets. Do you, are you seeing that as well? So, yeah, there might be um, lots of still interested people out there for each individual apartment that's on the market, but it's not like pricing is going up anymore. It seems like it's plateaued. Is that the feeling out there with, with most sellers that, you know, we've got to keep it real, got to keep it, you know, you know, normal, where people will be incented to come back to the marketplace and buy? I, you know, I'll just say something very quickly so the rest of the panel can speak, but I, it depends, I think, largely on the neighborhood and the buildings. Um, down, way downtown, the prices are climbing. It, it's crazy. So that's my experience. And, and price per square foot is going up in certain buildings, and it's not stopping. And people are listing stuff at kind of insane prices, and then they're landing a little below. But, and, and just as Niall just said, there's also bid wars. So I'm seeing price per square foot rise. Um, so yeah, and I'm seeing Brooklyn actually is, is my busiest right now. And, and we're just – my clients are dropping the contingency to compete or – if they're not cash, you know, it's really hard when there's over five offers. So Brooklyn's right. really crazy right now. 
Um, and I'm actually finding in Manhattan, the co-op prices are slowly competing with condos. It's kind of crazy, and sellers are getting more and more for the co-ops. I don't know what you guys think, but mm-hmm. I'm certainly finding prices for co-ops going substantially higher. Yeah. I'm, cool. I'm seeing the same thing too, uh, Rachel, and it's, it's kind of interesting because there's always been a huge gap between the condo price mm-hmm. point and the, and the co-op price point and, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons that we've talked about on and off. But, you know, here's something else though. You know, I, 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 I'm getting a sense that there is no sense of urgency on the buyer's part today. So we have to attribute that to something. Is it because they feel like the pricing is out of line right now with where the current market is? And we can talk about a debate I, about where that current I market is, but there's no I sense of urgency. Qual- Go ahead. No, there's no sense say, of urgency. Go ahead, Deborah. Oh, I was going to say, I think it's actually the quality of what's out there in many neighborhoods. A few of us in my office were sitting around and talking yesterday about one of our colleagues who had this condo in Midtown, and she kept saying, it's the lowest-priced condo per square foot in Midtown. Why has it been on the market for 10 weeks? And we all looked at it, and some of us had actually seen it, and we said, well, it may be, but it needs a complete gut, gut job. It needs to be completely renovated. Right. And you can't just look at the numbers. And I think when you mentioned earlier that prices may be plateauing, I think that people are too busy looking at price per square foot and not at the quality of what's out there in condos and co-ops. So that may explain the plateauing because things are sitting on the market if buyers feel they're not really worth what the asking price is. Hmm. Yeah, well, that, that's, that's a good explanation. And I'm, I'm starting to see a little bit about that myself with some of the buyers that I'm working. It's like, you know, the, the urgency to I have to have something, even in a couple of cases where they do need to buy something, you know, my fear is that they're going to just turn around and continue to rent. And we've talked about that before. Anyway, we have to go to break. On the other side of the break, we're going to complete this conversation and talk about our neighborhood of the week. That's Greenwich Village. So uh, we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody. I'm talking to Deborah Hoffman. 
Rachel Altshuler, Niall Lundgren, and Ivy Ray. And we were just talking about the possibility of a, of a changing marketplace where the um, inventory seems to be up just a little bit and maybe the sense of urgency on the buyer side has kind of waned a little bit. So we're trying to get to the bottom of what really is the market. And Rachel had brought up, you know, Brooklyn is kind of hot right now. And, and Deborah and Niall were referring to some neighborhoods in New York. And I guess, you know, the bottom line is, at the end of the day, it's always very neighborhood dependent, uh, and it's always you know size and, and and of apartments, et cetera. But even you know, I, I still say in a limited inventory market with slight uptick in inventory, buyers are reluctant to pay too much for property. Are we seeing that in our open houses or in our private showings with buyers that buyers are finally saying, "I think the price might be a little too high"? Because sometimes you know, in the past, they just walk away. You you, you never hear about their comments on an apartment because it might have been overpriced, but they just say, oh, this is not for me. I'm going to go look for something else. Are they now at least admitting to us as brokers that the price may be too high or the seller is a little unreasonable? You know, I'm I finding... Had two buyers that, oh. <laughs> I, had two, I had two buyers admit that in the spring and both decided to take the summer off. They were in the $2.5 million range one on the Upper East Side, one on the Upper West Side. They would take either a co-op or condo. And they said, we'll take the summer off. Well, we just reconnected last week. And both of them said, you know, prices are still a little high, but they don't look as crazy. So let's look a little bit until November. And like there's no, like you said, Vince, there's no urgency, but they're still looking. I mean, I, I guess as a broker, you know, because that's, that's still primarily what I do for a living, I mean, I I like to feel that there's urgency on not only the buyer side but on the seller side as well because that's what fuels transactions and deals and that's what pays us. But, you know, I am sensing that there's a little bit of a standoff and I think it, it probably relates to many things, pricing being one, you know, bidding wars and needing to overpay being another. And I think they still want to buy but I think probably the best way to sum it up is they're being a little more cautious today with pricing and with, you know, being – pushed, so to speak, to get into the game, because if you don't take this one, somebody else is going to. Now, will it trend, you know, trend in a different direction? I don't know. And that's my last question on this topic. Do you see a trend back to a buyer's market at some point? We've been in a seller's market for a very long time. Do you see this on any level trending back to a buyer's market? I certainly hope so. No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know. I wanted to just say one thing. I am with you all the way on the hesitancy. I'm wondering about the rest of the panel on the uh, on the buyer side. I've never felt anything quite like it. And I, I, you know, perhaps they're more educated. Obviously, some of my buyers are much more informed than my experience in the past. And they are looking at price per square foot, and they're and they're just they're hesitant. I've never had an experience quite like it. I'm used to. Well, I think in. I'm I'm actually seeing the market shift, and what's really interesting for me, and I'm sure all of you would agree, is communication is really important now, and the shift in the market is going to weed out um, a lot of the, the good brokers versus the brokers that are not really knowing how to close the deal. So, mm. for instance, following up with a buyer, if they've seen the apartment, it's a bit overpriced, and you don't hear from them, follow up. Why are you not submitting an offer? Was it not the right space for you, or is it pricing? If the buyer says, well, a little over my budget, the comps don't support it, that's when a good broker is going to say, well, what's the offer that you feel 
you know, what is it worth to you? Let me present it. Let me get the deal done. So I do see it becoming more of a buyer's market. And I actually, like you said, I'm excited about that because it really, it's going to change things. Um, and, and it's the seller's market has really kind of been insane. I mean, the last year has just been not great for the relationships that we have where we can't get a deal done because there's 20 mm-hmm. offers on the table. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. I'm excited yeah. about that. I ditto on the communication part. I think it's more critical than it's ever been. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of mixed and I'm kind of on the fence, but Rachel, I agree. You know, I'm listening to what you're saying and it's not far-fetched, so I'm just kind of wondering where are we really going to end with all of this? And I guess only time will tell, you know, as we march through the rest of this year and into 2015. And I think next week we want to talk about some of the trends that we were faced with in 2014 in the real estate business and how we're going to finish the year based on, you know, the predictions and the trends that we were, were given and where are we going to be where are we going to be rather in 2015 and how we're going to set the stage for that. The Greenwich Village neighborhood is one of the very most prime downtown areas in Manhattan. When location is everything, Greenwich Village is hard to beat. The heart of downtown Manhattan with a northern boundary of 14th Street and running south until Houston Street and from approximately Broadway to 7th Avenue. Why, guys, is the is the village, the Greenwich Village neighborhood so popular? I mean, I smile as I say that because it's one of my favorite places, although mm. I don't live in, in the village. But why is the village always on everybody's, you know, number one hit parade, especially in real estate? Yeah, I find one of the sweetest things about the village myself to be uh, akin to like Alphabet City and some of the only other areas is that small pocket in Midtown West, which I'm personally not a fan of, you know, kind of the middle of New York so much. The zoning. <laughs> it's yeah. it's one of the only sections left in the city where it's just not going to end up changing dramatically. We're not going to lose our history. They can't build glass towers on a lot of the streets. The streets are cobblestone and tree-lined. It feels like Europe at night. It's silent. You know, I'm talking about you guys all know that pocket. There's this golden pocket, and I consider it to be one of the sweetest sections of New York. And when I walk those streets, it's like when I walked them largely in my memory when I was seven years old. You know, it's still the same. It remains one of my favorite spots. So I, I say zoning is one of the biggest things. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's, that's what I ahead. always say about the neighborhood, too, is that it, the zoning laws, they don't allow the, the buildings to build up, so they remain in the building in the integrity of the neighborhood essentially uh, remains intact. Townhomes, yeah. uh, tree-lined streets, the architecture, cobblestone streets, all that put together, you know, really, it just has a charming feel. There's just a, there's just a, an aura around walking through there where if the city is so hectic and crazy and you can be in Midtown and then you get to the village and, you know, there's, there's art and there's culture and there's trees and it, it just, it, there's just a feel to the village that, especially considering the fact that NYU is right, right there as well. There's just so much going on. Um, and then it's also so peaceful in those pockets that you talked mm, about, Ivy. I think yeah. that really is what just makes the, the, the Greenwich Village area just so special. As someone who grew up on the West Coast, in the minds of out-of-towners, Greenwich Village is sort of a little bit of everything New York. It's when you walk the streets, that's what we all picture when we grow up in other parts of the country. Hmm. And it hasn't changed. As Ivy mentioned, the zoning is very important. It remains what we think in our mind's eye. And because it was settled as a village when the rest of the... um, 
uh, population was living down in the Wall Street area in the 1600s, 1700s, it has retained that feeling, for good or for bad, because, well, those of us who are old enough to remember the 1960s and 70s, there was a lot more mixed housing, a lot of very cheap kind of places you really wouldn't want to be in, but that's what you could afford, and then the more upper-class townhouses, and it all worked, and it's sort Mm -hmm. of a mini-history of New York. You know, it's Mm -hmm. interesting because the housing stock downtown is primarily made up of small studios, one-bedrooms, and small two-bedrooms. You you don't find the grand-size homes in the village that you do on, you know, Park Avenue, Central Park West, West End Avenue, Fifth Avenue, or in the uptown areas where, you know, you can raise families. So it's interesting how the makeup of the village uh, is really – it really corresponds to the size apartments that you have available. And, you know, I was reading something else that uh, in the village – uh, is more it's more expensive in the village uh, 96.9% of neighborhoods than any of the neighborhood rather and 98.5% of any neighborhood in the US so it's 96% higher price than any place in in New York and 98.5% in the rest of the uh United States so there's something to be said for wow. you know what what goes on down there and you know aside from the the real estate there is so much from an entertainment perspective and I think the the dense population and the way it's laid out just makes it feel very European uh, and historic. But when you have clients that come to you and say, I want to live in the village, I immediately cringe. <laughs> because I think, I, think, I think every client says they want to I live in the village. I know, we all laugh, right? Everybody that's the, says that's that. the first thing that everyone says, like, I want to live in the village. It's or, the or funniest thing. Yeah. yeah, and it's kind of like, all right, well, I get that because I do too. Yeah. But- <laughs> But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, not everybody can live in the village. And it's and, and what I'm trying to find from you, find out from you guys and can help me, how do you talk them off that ledge? Because clearly based on budget, based on apartment sizes I just talked about and based on a whole lot of, lot of other dynamics, it's most the most difficult neighborhood to place someone in either a rental or in a purchase. What do we say to these people when they tell me I have to live in the village and you can't find anything? Well, that's what you do. I think you have to inform them first, and, and hopefully you convince them on paper because <laughs> it, you know, it saves you a couple days and not to say that our, you know, it's just we need to be valuable or, or intelligent with our time. And, but certainly it is a reality over there, and not everyone is a fit for all kinds of reasons. I'm mm-hmm. sure you guys will agree. You get, you get a couple coming from Europe or something, and they're moving to New York City for the first time. Maybe they rented over a summer. And now they, they've got two small children, and what they want more than anything else is to live in the village, and they want a townhome. And you're like, what are you going to do when it's two degrees outside, and you've got two kids, and you have to go six blocks to the subway? You cannot get a cab. You know, you have to educate them as to it's a really – it's a lifestyle choice as well as a financial one, as well as, you know. It's interesting because in my particular world of, of, of real estate business this year, every bidding war that I lost, and I've lost several this year, um, and I hate to say that, but it's, it's a fact, have all been in the village, ah. all in the West Village because, you know, there are, just like any other neighborhood, very limited amount of apartments. And interesting, when you look at the pricing on some of the one bedrooms down there, at least in the, in the price point that I lost, you're talking a million two, three, four, and a million five for one bedroom apartments. One was priced at a million two, and we went in at a million four and lost it. So aside from a limited amount of apartments down there and the pricing being high, can you just imagine 
this price for a one-bedroom apartment? I mean, it's, you know, it's extraordinary. I think a lot of times, too, Vince, you know, whenever I, I'm dealing with a buyer or, or a renter in that situation, they always start out saying, I want to live in the village. So it's just a, an education process where you have to bring them and show them the $1.5 million one-beds and say, look, this is what you get. And they're looking at, you know, 800 square feet or less, and they're like, right. uh, is this really what 1.5 gets you? And you're like, yeah, this is a village. And then, you know, then you start showing other neighborhoods and educating them. And then they're like, okay, now I start to get it. And you've got to understand that the West Village is one of the most uh, most high-in-demand neighborhoods in America. And, and that's, that's what makes it so coveted. You know, we're living on the same block as you know, boatloads of celebrities. So it's, it's, it's obviously going to command a premium. All right, guys, we're going to take it uh, to the next segment. We have to take a break, so don't go away. When we come back, though, we'll be here with Jason Bin founder of DuJour Magazine. Very exciting interview coming up. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back, and we have Jason Bin with us. And as I said at the top of the program, in the summer of 2012, he founded the DuJour Media Group and became publisher of DuJour Magazine, which is distributed monthly across the United States. This publication targets the affluent market and chronicles the world of the nation's wealthiest individuals. Recently, uh, DuJour made the hot list as one of the hottest lifestyle magazines in Adweek for all of 2014. Good morning, Jason. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. So I can speak for myself, but most of us are truly fascinated with the luxury lifestyle in this country from fashion to real estate to everything, you know, Uber, whatever. How does DuJour capture this lifestyle so elegantly because it really does? What, what's the difference? Uh, it's, about, it's about a lifestyle. And I think many magazines <coughs> today are very focused on whether it's fashion or it's art or entertainment we actually encompass the worlds of fashion, art, entertainment, business, investigative journalism. We didn't want to be um, cornered into uh, a segment that, uh, you know, that didn't give us much room to breathe and to, you know, the world's changing constantly. 
And whether it's fashion, whether it's uh, the environment, whether it's art, uh, the emergence of art that just keeps seems seems to keep growing. And when real estate was the hot topic, I mean, it just you know now art is and culture. So it's just kind of like giving a rounded point of view of what's taking place, and people like that. And it's also the beauty is also having a dual audience. It's it's a magazine that people could put on their coffee table, and whether you're a man or a woman, you feel comfortable that yeah. it's a display item. Right now, when you say dual audience, you mean the 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 um, male female ratio. Gotcha. Okay. So S- Stallone, Sly Stallone, is on the latest cover, of the summer 2014. How did you get him, and who's who's next? Because uh, I'm well, curious to see who's. Uh, last night, I'm proud to say we launched uh, Lenny Kravitz's Strut, his new single. Ah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he killed it. Oh, I love Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> it, it's amazing. That's awesome. Um, he's he's not mass, but he's mass, but he's niche. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just when I look at people over the last thirty years who've been able to maintain their DNA, um, who's always been on the cutting edge of what's happening and cool, and is not a tabloid uh, story every week. Uh, and a good parent and yeah. a, a loving dad and, uh, you know, and still close with his ex. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, it's just, he's just got it going on and he doesn't need to be going and running around to fashion shows and getting paparazzi, you know, photo ops at these, you know, events that take place everywhere he's hanging out, whether it's in Miami or whether it's in, uh, you know, Paris where he now is uh, living He's just, you know, he's just who he is and he takes care of himself and he works out and he's he's just always been fit and he's just taking care of himself in, in a really great way. And he's a very humble, generous guy. And but he's got that rock star image. Absolutely. But I, but I agree with you. He He's always, you know, been projected as being a very cool, very grounded uh, individual that whatever he puts out there is elegant. And, and that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to get at with your magazine because I find the whole thing very elegant and the people who are participating yeah. as a Lenny Kravitz uh, and, and who they, they present to the, to the outside world. So he's, he's quite a, uh, an interesting person. So he will be on the next cover. Yeah. And, and it's funny because I even went to his Instagram account and just checked out like his post and everything is so curated mm-hmm. and so on brand there's nothing he doesn't do. Uh, he just takes it, you know, everything about him, personally and professionally, uh, and, and he messages it out in a really, like you said, elegant way. And I think today you don't have that. And he's a true artist. He's not mm-hmm. doing appearance fees, and he's not, you know, he just loves music, and it's his talent, and does he act? Yes, and is that, like, a major interest to him? Of course, but... You know, his heart and soul and, you know, what's made him who he is today is for sure. It's the music. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Let's go back to the magazine for a minute. At launch and in collaboration with Guilt Group, and I'm really curious about this, and Hudson News, you devised a data analysis system that aims to call 3 million high-end subscribers, and that's back then. How how have – where are your subscribers now, and, and how does this, this, this um, system help increase – subscribers or are you still using it yeah we're more about having a controlled uh consumer base so 
Uh, we didn't expect to have so many people, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we go to Guild's top, you know, clientele, top spenders, uh, the business is thriving, and it's just given us more access to the bigger shoppers, the bigger their bigger clientele. And as it relates to uh, the print edition, we've managed to cultivate that where we don't believe just in top ten markets. We believe in tier one markets where most of the luxury brands uh, or services are taking place, their their sales, whether it's New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago. So we go deep there. And then the second tier markets we look at are where we put out a little less magazines or like Orange County, uh, San Francisco, Dallas, Houston. We And then we have those sizzle markets. So we kind of, you know, create a... a a newfound form of media where we're global. We're a national magazine. We're seventy mm. percent of the content's national, but we actually speak to these ten markets. That's what. That's what mm. I wanted to ask you about how you targeted the city. So you've got a tier one, the New York, the Chicago, the L.A., Miami, and then the tier two, right. another five marketplaces. Right. So you Vegas basically as well. localize right. your your um, your yeah. stories because you know forty eight percent of people. You know, on the east, on the U, in the U.S., that are going to Miami or from New York, and fifty-two percent of the people going to Vegas are from L.A., and and it kind of gave us a way to create really exclusive, unique content, and it makes people fight hard to get into the book because you're not just putting a book out about a city. That's not what we're there. We're there to tell you what's happening, what's what's in what just opened, what's being renovated, where you should go. And it takes a lot of time with editors on ground. Then you have those sizzle markets like Aspen, uh, Palm Beach, Malibu, the Hamptons, where people are going, but they're not going all year round. Correct. And we, and so, so you'll, you'll see du jour in, in, in your mailbox uh, in, in the wintertime. For uh, Memorial Day for the fall, I mean, for Memorial Day in fall, you know, I mean, summer and fall, you'll see Hamptons um, at your state. Uh, We won't be there, you know, anytime else. So how um, easy or Mm. difficult is it for you guys to get advertising? I would think that it's very easy. Your target audience is the well-heeled. Does that make it easier when you're out there talking to advertisers? Yeah. Obviously. I mean, mean, today, uh, data... You know, your audience is priceless mm-hmm. and content is king. Correct. So uh, it's not about how many people you reach, it's who you reach. We've just been fortunate enough to align ourselves with strategic partners that have given us the ability to, uh, to access an amazing group of people, whether it's through the digital outlets of guilt with these, you know, high-end uh, income consumers, um, and then you have, uh, you know, the data mining of the print, which they don't uh, correlate to one another. So the guilt audience is separate than the print audience because mm. obviously guilt controls and manages their own data. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we don't want anyone thinking that we're getting that information. So then we go out and we have to find another quarter of a million people to send a print book. But we give the guilt members, you know, the opportunity to – be a part of our world. Jason, you've become a celebrity yourself. I follow you on Twitter and Facebook. And, and oh, wow. You know, well, you, you have. So, my, But my question is, how, is important, how important is it for you 
and your magazine to be out there so much? I mean, obviously, it's it's important on some level because you are out there and, and everybody knows who you are. And you do a great job in taking all of that and, you know, turning it into, you know, magazine content. How important is that for you to be, you know, a celebrity? Um, or is it not? It's funny. I'm on the other end of the camera. Right. So, uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes uh, you're in the front of the camera. Yeah, too. 100%. It's but, flipping on you, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> um, funny. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm the one most of the time taking the pictures, and I'm on the other side of the camera. But when we do high impact events and uh, other things, for sure, I'm out there. But I think every company needs, uh, whether it's a CEO, and that's the role I play. And it's no different than Jan Wenner creating a Rolling Stone right. or the Forbes family creating Forbes. I wish I had one thousandth of their financial success or brand. But, you know, Hefner with, um, um, with Playboy, Playboy or, sure. or Schenken with um, Cigar mm-hmm. Aficionado. It's, I but mean, these are the it, folks that I put you with because you seem to be doing or following the same business plan. Yeah, look at Andy Warhol with Interview. I yeah. mean, Correct. he created a community. He did cover parties like we do. A lot of what he was doing back in those days was, you know, very, very cool and very insider. Mm-hmm. And it was either you were, you were part of that world or you weren't. And it wasn't about, like, you know, separating people. It was more about you, you're our friends, you're our partners, you're our, you're our clients, you're our family. And putting these people in the world from fashion to art to entertainment – and really creating a great, diverse, eclectic group of people. Traditional magazines typically have a, you know, the publishing side as an event, and or it comes from the editorial side. Correct. And they typically don't. And they, if they merge, they kind of control the amount of people mm-hmm. um, who are let in from the other side. Mm-hmm. I, you know, for us, it's it's more of a of of a, an eclectic group of people. Where there's models and celebrities and socialites to. CEOs of the top brands in the country. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to go back for our final segment. Uh, we're here with Jason Bin. Uh, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to him about his ability to connect with just about anyone. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back here with Jason Bin, and uh, we're talking about Jujur Magazine. Jason, as I said before we went to break, you seem to have a talent to be able to connect with anyone. It seems to come easy to you. And some people have that, that talent and some people don't. What is your secret? Because it's very obvious when you know, you're you – know, I, didn't, I didn't know I had um, this talent or if you want to say secret. Uh, <laughs> I got to be honest. It's just been who I – you know, from the day I was born, it was just who I was. Who it you was, are. It was my DNA and I had – uh, a gentleman walk up to me and say, you know, all these people, you're always in the right place at the right time. You, you just love putting people together. You love making things happen. You, What do you do? And I was like, I, I, I work on, uh, you know, I work for an ad agency and um, I'm going to be selling dresses on 7th Avenue uh, in the next few months. And he said, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you should be doing more. And it was at that point um, we came up and came, uh, with the idea of doing Ocean Drive magazine and launching it together. And that led into rolling out a bunch of city magazines, which then led into mm-hmm. putting out something today that I believe is what where the world is heading and what we all have to be cognizant of, which is – a hybrid model of understanding that there are print readers out there and there are digital readers out there, and they don't really cross-connect. Well, I wanted to ask you about that in a second, but you know, going back to, to the niche media, which you just mentioned, yeah. you know, the, the magazines, highly successful, and you've, you've moved on. Why did you um, sell that company, and, and how did you decide to get back into it with this? Uh, the magazine was growing at, at incredible um, strides in revenues and profits. And when success like that happens, you obviously get approached by many, many people. Right. And when you're in a, a, a great relationship and about to get married and you're thinking about building a family and you've started something from scratch with maybe $5,000 to your name and, cre- and helped create a category – slash business model of these free giveaway magazines, mm. uh, you know, in these localized markets, you start thinking deeper about your life. And, you know, every dollar I made, I put back in my business. So to me, to execute something new was inter- was interesting. And I was watching e-commerce happen. And the gentleman who uh, founded Guild, Kevin Ryan, who actually owns Business Insider as well um, and was part of the whole double-click movement and, uh, you know, sold it in ninety in the late 90s. Uh, it just, he was so on the cutting edge of what was happening with e-commerce and flash sales. And I basically uh, became friends with him. And next thing you know, I was working with him and learning so much about activation, watching brands engage you know, through just the push of a button by you right. getting an email, right. doing hundreds of millions of dollars. And when you're in print and it's all about branding and image and you don't really see or hear about a lot of things being sold or, you know, but you want to be in it. 
but it's like, how much do you want to be in it? And who are you talking to? And what really is that income of that reader? And can mm-hmm. they afford the products or services in that magazine? I think that's where the challenges of print, you know, happen is that, you know, the digital world became more transparent and clear. So, and that's when I saw, while I wasn't going back into print, I saw a vision of bringing the two together. I was going to ask you about wow, that vision yeah. because it's, it's quite a phenomenon actually, but you know, the digital version and then the print version, again, as you said earlier, you know, different readerships, but yet maybe some similarity. I see yeah, e-commerce, I see e-commerce as a global opportunity for any online retailers. You know, do you think that's going to continue? I mean, I can't see it reversing and going the other way. I really no. think it's heading for even greater. When I launched success. in fall 2012, probably 80% of my clients did not have an e-commerce play. And these were these super luxury brands. Right. Uh, and they looked at companies, you know, who were doing e-commerce as competitors or people who were just had a different mindset. And many of us in the print <laughs> industry didn't believe the digital world was really going to amount to anything. Right. And, you know, the brick and mortar business is great, mm-hmm. but it's, you need platforms, whether you're advertising are your consumer or, and you're the manufacturer. You have to be able to speak to that consumer if you're a manufacturer and identify with them. If they're under 40 and they, you know, are they, are there, look at these kids who are under 20, they, they, they're just not, you know, Prince not keeping up with them. So, you know, this is how yes. they grew up. Exactly. And, and they're going to be 25 and 30 and 35. And, you know, the big brands have to start thinking, how do we start getting into it? And that's now I've seen more and more like you were just mentioning that development. Yeah, I can see you as the leader of that pack. You guys recently won, a, well, in 2013, a Webby Award for the best home and welcome page for DuJour. Tell us about that because I don't think many uh, listeners out there understand what a Webby yeah, Award is. Yeah, I never knew what a Webby was. I, I got to be <laughs> honest either. I heard it was the Oscars of the Internet. Yes, exactly. And uh, it really is because you only get – a couple of seats and the people who win are won the award the year before have to present the award there. And there's 60 countries, 50 States. They have around 14,000 applicants. And I, I highly encourage any of you, of your audience to go to um, the webbies.com because it has become the authority on uh, who's doing whether it's shopping, whether it's traveling, whether it's, you know, any kind of activity, any kind of business model, who's doing it the best, who were the finalists, who were the winners. I, I think everybody gets hit. And so the confusion is, is who's going to build out my brand and put it online? Is it going to represent our brand? Is it going to represent my vision of the brand? Is it going to encourage people to engage my brand. And the Webby's has a board that's second to none, and they do a complete evaluation on every front, whether it's navigation, structure. And it's really great because it's like the Oscars, literally. What movie do I see? And then the Oscar nominations come out, and you're like, okay, yeah. I'm going to go to a movie. Mm. It narrows the got, choices. It narrows the choices, yeah. and we all don't have a lot of time anymore. You know, right. I mean, we're all working 24-7, exactly. and it narrows the choices. And the Webby's 
is a great way to inspire anybody uh, out there to to really see and get inspired about whether it's look, feel, design, and it speaks to every category. So for us, it, and we just you know got nominated too um, for best web magazine, which was uh, against Wired. And wow, I know. Like, yeah, that's wow. a good not, I didn't even go. I like, there's no way I'm going to come close <laughs> to winning. I mean, I mean, these people were like, you know, thinking about this when I was like not even thinking about taking a computer or a laptop to my sure. bed or to my desk. <laughs> sure. You know, I, I come home with no computer, you know. Um, so, uh, I mean, the BlackBerry was heaven to me. So they were really on the cusp of it all. So, uh, but it was exciting because we were the first, I believe, the first actual media company nominated for Webby in two consecutive years, wow. over, yeah. ten, over 10 years, yeah. which has never happened. So to be coming out of the gate, and uh, I, I highly encourage all your your listeners to go to Ad Week right now because they just came out with the hottest lifestyle magazine. That's right. We won um, last year the hottest launch, as you were nice enough to mention earlier, and now we're not being nominated for the hottest magazine for, um, for, for 2014. Yeah, yeah, so to be the hottest launch, it's like a VMA or MTV hottest, you know, Absolutely. new artist, and then the next year to win. Hottest artist. I mean, for us, and we're up against brands that have been around for 30, 50, 100 years. And exactly. We've been for two years. Congratulations. Well, That's awesome. very well said. And so, you know, I follow that with um, so, what do you think about and what are your plans or how do you continue to have DuJour set itself apart from the competition going forward? You've obviously, in a couple of years, got to a very successful point in, in society and in the magazine. Uh, so how do you plan to continue that? You know, yeah. how do you keep it fresh? You know, it's interesting. Uh, what we learned was the magazine became a trophy. It was what people could feel and touch and get an idea of what you're doing. And then the digital play, if you go to DeJure.com, you'll see it's it's a very complimentary play. Many magazines out there, their digital site does not represent their print. Correct. And the way the ad units are served up, the way the content is laid out, the way you, um, the, the the way they speak to you, uh, it's just a different audience. And because they're more concerned about uniques, right. where CPM, which is a big word in advertising, which is cost per thousand, how much does it cost to reach a thousand people? To me, it's CPM. It's cost per mind. I rather have less cost per uniques. mind. Mm-hmm. And know wow. that those people are making over 120000 and they're highly engaged, and they're coming back three, four times a day, and they're spending six to eight minutes on my site, and they're you know, spending 25 to 30 minutes a day. I mean, to me, that then have someone who just comes and goes and surfing the web. So we try, which is a new, another thing I learned, which is push your content out to the more intellectual, smart, sites that reach that affluent consumer rather than the mass mm. outlets where you, you might not get that kind of consumer because your advertisers want to be in that environment that's very preserved, very controlled, and very on brand with what they invested in on the print side. And that's what I see a big change right now going on in media. Jason, that's, that's fantastic, and I'm just being told that we have run out of time, so I wanted to say thank you so much for oh, coming you. in today. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and I do follow you. 
next week, I will have the panel, our, our illustrious panel, for the full hour as we discuss trends predicted for 14 and how we are going to track into 2015. My stellar PR guy just remind me during break that we are celebrating today our 25th show on the Voice America Network. So thank Woo! you, everybody, for yeah! that. Until next time, thank you for joining me, and I look forward to being with you next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m., 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live on the Variety Channel here at Voice America. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.